Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Bastiat Cruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast. This week we'll hear from grade one winning trainer Ruth Jefferson, top jockey Sam Twiston Davies and leading journalist Lee Mottishead as we look back on a bumper weekend of racing and all the major talking points of the past week. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Bastiat Cruel Dubai. And it is a pleasure to welcome Sam Twiston-Davies to Luck on Sunday. Sam, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Well, you nice should be, be after, after yesterday. Al Dancer lived up to all the expectations in the, in the Betfair hurdle. Yeah, we'd, have, we'd hoped, obviously, to go into Newbury. It would all go well, and sadly, obviously, everything that happened, happened. Mm. But Ascot very put it on swiftly and always hoped that it wouldn't prove too many inconveniences swapping from Newbury to Ascot. And, he got into a good rhythm, he was still plenty keen, so obviously to pick up like he did and put the race to bed, we were really happy with. Yeah, I think when I spoke to you yesterday, I mean, watching him in the early part of the race, it seems like you were never able, for at least a few furlongs, to, to drop your hand on his withers, and he was always, you had your hands just a little bit perhaps, suggesting he was a bit too keen, um, yet to do what he did at the end of the race was hugely impressive. Yeah, well, traditionally in a bet for a hurdle, you go pretty hard all the way, so jump wanted him, wanted to be somewhere in the first six, get him to relax, switch off see how we went from there but literally we jumped off hacked along to the first didn't really pick up mm. too much more to the second and as you know of Ascot then when you go down the hill you yeah. oh, just really started to get <laughs> even more keen I was thinking this isn't ideal I wish I was four places further back with a bit more cover but yeah. luckily it's just the pure class of the horse has got him through it and he's ended up winning nicely after the race, your, your dad was obviously effusive, and, and your brother uh, suggested he might be <laughs> he might be the best horse uh, that you've ever had in New York. In fairness, when your brother said that, your dad was standing next to me, and your dad actually said, uh, Willie's been in the bar all day. Well, um, we got there early. Um, Willie works in the yard, um, helping out, and funny enough, we were leaving at 10 originally, and then it came back to half nine, and then Willie was ready by quarter past nine, so we were out <laughs> the yard pretty early. And then I didn't actually see Willie again till after the horse won. So oh, right. <laughs> um, it might have helped the fact um, sort of these bold statements were coming out. But um, no, w- w- Willie wears heart in his sleeve. He loves obviously a lot of the horse in the yard. He mm. works closely with um, Jack Savage, with, with, with Al Dancer. Yeah. And, uh, massive credit to Jack, really. And where does he rank? I mean, what, in terms of excitement? For the, for the team, because you've got some, some tremendous horses. You know, we think of Imperial Commander and the new one, etc. Mm. He, he's a little bit different, this fella. He's very fast. Traditionally, we're obviously probably better known for kind of the, the Grand National types, the staying yeah. handicap chasers, the, the this and that. And this horse, now, he, he can, what he does in a piece of work, not many you'd see at ours doing. Um, so that's what's nice about him is that you have to actually almost work him a little bit harder for his. Um, preps because end of the day there's not many horses that you'd really work him with. Mm. That's why I think Jack does a great job with him because you don't want to overwork him and because you get excited because he's faster than a lot of the others. But at the same time you want him to do a bit because 
He needs to be fit and ready to go in these big occasions. Well, hearing what you're saying, it's extraordinary to think that, that the Ballymore might have been an option for him. Clearly, after yesterday, Ballymore's out of the picture and it's all the way to the Supreme. Well, hopefully. I have to talk to Di. He's got, obviously, very lucky. He's got a lot of, a handful of really good horses mm. and obviously of Angel's Breath as well. So um, I think between Dad, Di, Nicky, they'll have a chat, see which horses will be suited to which races. And with a bit of luck, we can end up in the Supreme. He just has a lot of natural pace. He's a strong traveller, a good jumper. So it'd be the obvious target. But say, if for any reason Di wanted to, you just have to slot him back a little bit more, get it, make sure he did relax um, and see how he went from there. But I don't think the extra trip would be a problem, but he's just very fast. And I think to ride him in the Supreme would be the really well, be a good bit of sport. Uh, and I know jockeys, trainers, owners, they always tend to look at the next race. But you know what we're like in, in racing as a, as a fan, as a member in the media or whatever, we're always thinking of the future. And immediately, and, and, and your dad mentioned it yesterday, uh, perhaps a champion hurdle for this horse. Could, could he be that class? One day, that'd be the dream. Um, we always fall into that. That bracket kind of is similar as when Bally Andy won the champion bumper. We said, oh, he owes us nothing now. And then he, he ended up winning the bet fair. And we we're like, oh, he definitely owes us nothing now. But the trouble is then, because they've gone and done that, they've promised you so much, you're always hoping for that little bit more. Um, so hopefully with this horse, it's today a fantastic day, but um, you're always hoping what, what could be in the future. And yeah. But the way he is, the way he's learning and the pace he's kind of come forward, you never really know. We don't really know how much more's to come. Indeed, the, the good horses seduce you like you, you can't imagine, and, and he has done that this season. So uh, brilliant to see him do what he did yesterday. And it's brilliant to see you having a super season. Uh, obviously, you took, uh, 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 I guess, what a minute, what a probably would have been a, a difficult enough decision to go freelance so how would you feel things have gone since yeah really well really happy um obviously re- working really closely with uh Brody, so chris broad who, who books all my rides and um does a fantastic job of like managing me um mentally sometimes can be a little bit um <laughs> yeah i don't know how to explain it as dad would say um, i don't hold my temper so well so um He's done really, really well. We had the target at the start of the year of one thing I wanted to do was try and get to the 100 winners again and touch wood, staying injury-free and the horses keep running like they are. Hopefully yeah. we can do that. But um, You're into the 80s now. Yeah, 80s, so we'll see how we go and hopefully we can get there. But as always, it's working for Paul is like one of, the, as you see, like yesterday, it's like one of the best jobs, well, is, one of, is probably the best job in this country because the yeah. volume of winners, the attention to detail, the, everything they do there is... Yeah. is amazing but at the same time after however many years I was doing it probably the last year I was I probably wasn't riding to the best of my ability I was thinking about it a lot and um, second guessing every decision I made and the one thing you're employed to do when you're a jockey is go out and ride on your instincts and that's probably towards the end I was going out and thinking double thinking about everything I was doing so actually to come back home and ride a lot for dad and Dr Newland is fantastic just to go out there and literally if something isn't working, you can go down through the, through the options, plan A, B, C, even if you end up on plan E and to come back and, and have them believing in you is what, what's nice. And now I think I'm riding better and learning more again. And, and today still, I probably have a better relationship with Paul now than I did in the, the best years we had together. People often talk about the word pressure and some say there isn't, some say there is plenty of pressure. Is that one of the things that you would say has been released by going freelance? That's it. Well, the, in the early years um, at Pulse, I, you know, I thrived off it, absolutely loved it, because I thought the more pressure I had on me, the, the better horses we had, the bigger, more bigger races we had chances in. So it's one thing I was always like, the more pressure I had, mm. the kind of more we thrived off it. But then 
actually when Harry's obviously an exceptional jockey as we've seen now as he's come through and he was always like behind me as, and he was always putting pressure on along with, with Shawnee. Um, so it was, you're always up in your game more and more and more and then it was the last year then it's just the pressure was kind of you're sitting on your shoulders and you're thinking like what can I do mm -hmm. to have that little edge here or there and at times obviously we got, got little things wrong and it was, it was the right time for obviously mm -hmm. Harry to go into pools and me to do what I'm doing now and yeah. I think it's nice that I don't go home and stress about it as much. There'd be some days I'd get home and sit in the car for 10 minutes and yeah. just didn't really want to go in because, no secret, I live with my mum and Willie, so yeah. um, I didn't really want to go go in and them see me in the mood so I could c come in, so um, I'd sit in the car and then go upstairs and now I'd be going home 80% of the time as a happy person and hopefully a not, not nicer person to deal with. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Bastiat Cruel Dubai. Welcome back to Luck on Sunday. Sam Twiston Davis still with us on the show, but delighted to have alongside him uh, Grade One winning trainer Ruth Jefferson and Luck on Sunday regular Lee Mottershead. Good to see you both alongside Sam today. Ruth, how are you after uh, yesterday? I'm good, thank you. Good. Okay, we'll talk more about waiting patiently. Uh, Lee, so mm. much to talk about from yeah. yesterday, uh, not just the last week. Yeah, it's been a marathon week, ending with a marathon race card. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, flu has been the theme going on throughout the week. Um, everyone's been understandably obsessed by it. I've penned thousands of words on it, and then with a nine race card at Ascot just to finish it all off. That's nice. It was yeah. nice. It was a nice it was way nice. to finish. It was uh, good. And mm. a lot of people were quite um, enamoured by the idea of having such a bumper card on a Saturday. Well, Is that something that we ought to... Well, of course, it's, it's, it's novel for us, but it's not novel... In a lot of jurisdictions, if you go racing in Australia or America, a 9, 10, 11, 12 race card is the norm. Yeah. Over here, you know, we go from a 6 race card to an 8 race card at the very most generally. 9s are really rare. We had that one year during Cheltenham. the Cheltenham, yeah, Windy Wednesday, when Thursday was a 10 race card, I think, and Friday was 9 or the other way around. Yeah. But for us, it feels very strange. But of course, elsewhere, it would be perfect. Like, you know, if you were an American or Australian, yeah. and you went racing, and you paid to go in, and you got 6 races, you'd want a rebate. <laughs> yeah. You'd think, what's going on? What, Ruth, what did you think of the, 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 the length of card yesterday, ask it? Um, it, well, it's an unusual day when you've got a runner in a race like that. So, um, yeah, it just started early and, and finished, but my day revolved around the 3.55. Well, our first race that we're going to reflect on is indeed that Ascot chase. Um, and I'll let you kick off with what you thought of your horse's performance, waiting patiently before we talk about anyone else. Um, overall, I was happy. Jumped off where he likes to jump off, travelled away. I thought down the back... He wasn't travelling quite as well mm. as he, he does normally and he was a little slow to respond when Brian first asked him but he came into it looking like he was going to win it and then, as Sam mentioned earlier, we, the winner just spread wings and flew. Um, I have no excuses. I was happy with my horse. He didn't blow up um, or anything like that. So Between you know, three, and three and two out, he looked like he might... Yeah, he might. Um, but just here, he just I thought here the winner was just going better than him. Um, although I didn't still um, quite expect to be as far as I was. But, you know, taking nothing away from the winner, I think my horse has run fine, and um, I'm not sure what we've run into, but it was hellish impressive. Well, we'll talk about the winners just in a minute. Sam, you're on Politologue, uh, the grey. Um, what did you make of his run yesterday? Yeah, it was what took me away was the winner, because multiple grade one winners behind him um, took him out of their, well, not out of the comfort zone early, but see from an early stage that he was kind of bossing the race. Mm. 
we all managed to get to his tail down the side, um, turned in, all looking like could half have something to say, and then he's quickened away down from two out to the line and ended up winning as he liked, and just amazing, really. Yeah. Lee, and what Sam's saying, you take out surname from mm. that race, mm. you're quite happy with the way the other four horses have finished in proximity to each other, waiting patiently, beating a proven grade one horse in Fox Norton, a proven grade one horse in Politologue and Charbel. And that's where it's going to be really interesting when the handicapper gives his verdict on this race, because, as you say, you've got horses there waiting patiently, came into that with a rating of 170, I think Politologue was 168, Fox Norton 166, so they're all in and around that sort of same ballpark. Now, have they all run miles below their best? They probably haven't. That being the case, you can make a very good argument so that Name should now be the highest rated chaser or certainly challenging Altior as the highest rated chaser in training. He run 165 before that. He's beaten horses, I say, rated 166, 168, 170 by miles. He's certainly going to be in the 170s and probably the mid 70s and probably not that far behind Altior. It's an astonishing performance, really. When you think that three starts ago, he ran an Alaska handicap off 150 and got stuffed. In his two starts since then, he's been transformed. What I thought was a nice touch yesterday was the owner, Johnny Delahaye, was very quick to say that a lot of the credit goes to the work rider, Scott Morrison, who apparently Marshall, said, yeah. Scott Marshall, sorry, who suggested that the hood should come off the horse. Um, that's what they did. Paul listened to that, and it's clearly made a huge difference right. because the way that horse has run his last two starts, he's gone off at a good clip, and you're watching it thinking, well, he's sure to stop. Mm. And not only did he not stop, yesterday, as, as Sam was saying, they got to his quarters turning for home. And then he's gone away again. Oh. Remarkable. Uh, and you're saying no excuses for your horse, at least. And I mean, some people may have read the quotes where you said ground, perhaps, but it's not. I'm not blaming the lengths. ground. No, I'm not no. blaming the ground. I think he's probably a better horse on softer ground, and it was mm. quick enough there yesterday. But I'm not going to start throwing excuses. I think he ran his race. And how is he waiting uh, patiently today? Do you know yeah, any, any um, feedback? Yeah, Tina texted me this morning, who runs the yard, and she said he's fine. So Great. that's that's all that matters. And that's when will you start thinking about what you want to do with him next? Uh, probably next week, and I'll see how he comes out of it and how hard a race he's had and how he is. What are the options? Uh, he's in the Ryanair. There's Aintree and there's Punchestown. Okay. And what would you need for him to run in the Ryanair? Uh, a soft going description, I think. It's just the yeah. ground. That's yeah. all that really matters with him. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't take too many chances on ground as quick as that. Mm. I wouldn't like to. Uh, and Sam, any thoughts on, on Politologue and, and perhaps whether he ran up to his best yesterday? Um, original thoughts. We thought um, we'd go and. Paul's going to go and get his win looked at, just something okay. that may help because he's a Tingle Creek winner and he was taken out of his comfort zone quite yeah, early. Yeah. Um, he's a lot of natural pace and he wasn't really travelling, so um, didn't make a noise, but always with, with, with the base yeah. down there, they like to try and tick every, every box and try and work out what, what might have been or what we can do to go forward again. But um, one thing I thought, Scott Marshall rides... Um, Surname yeah. and Clander Zobo. I think he's going to need a pay rise, isn't he? Keep oh. the well, we'll find out if he's going to get a pay rise uh, because the boss is on the line. Morning, Paul. Good morning to you. How are you? Very well, thank you. How are you, more importantly, after yesterday? Yeah, tired. <laughs> a few days last weekend, everything in place, all those runners and one and then all the staff went out last night, had a bit of a party. So, we're, yeah, good. But we're fresh and well, ready to go. And, and is Scott Marshall going to get a pay rise after yesterday's successes? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think he, I think he should be paying Clifford to look after those horses he's got. Away but uh, Scott's an in integral part of the team, as it is. Everyone is here in Team Ditcher, as we say. And Scott's done an amazing job on those two horses because 
surname's not been the easiest in the world to ride. I mean, he's had some scary moments on him over the years, and he's just he's now a different animal, but he's done very well with that horse. And why is he a different animal? Is it the hood coming off for his last couple of starts? No, he, he, he was a tearaway. I mean, at home, you, you literally you couldn't go anywhere bar up the hill with him because yeah. the only place you could stop him was up the hill. So he used to do two one day, three the next, two, three, like that all the time. Never... The only other fast work. If you did some fast work on a five foot on plot gallop, he'd probably ended up in Shepton Mallet. I couldn't stop him. <laughs> but for whatever reason, the horse is now relaxed. He trusts everybody, and you can train him now normally. And he'll go down with all the others now, lead them around the loop and school, do anything. I don't know why the pen is dropped, and he's just a different animal. Well, we were in the office this morning chatting away about the time that Masterminded clicked for you mm. uh, and he won, I think, a handicap at Sandown off a marker 145. Then he went to Newbury and bolted up in the game spirit and then did what he did in his first yeah. Queen Mother Champion chase. It yeah. just happened instantly like that and he just took off. But yeah. the thing about this horse is that his two wins have come at Ascot and there was lots of chat yesterday after the race that he's got to go right-handed. Mm. Are you of that opinion that that's the plan? <laughs> he's not going to Cheltenham? That's, I think his well, owner it's, said it's no, form, no, no yesterday. Yeah. Well, his form left-handed hasn't been so good as it has right-handed last year. But then whatever his form last year is a distant memory to what he's doing now. Never say never. Um, I, I actually think forgetting whether if he... Even, if he did want to go uh, in the Ryanair, I think it would come too soon to him. He's had two hard races. As you can see, he puts absolutely everything into it. And he'll literally be really quiet for a week now. And it, it, it'll, it'll probably come too soon anyway. So that's gone out the window anyway. Um, I don't know. We'll try again one day. We'll have to one day. But at the moment, I'm quite happy to doing what he's been doing, you know. Never really planned further ahead than today. That was always his target. Uh, we also, this morning, talking about ratings and Ruth saying with her host waiting patiently no excuses uh, and it seems if you look at the result behind him that he's now what yeah mid 170s rating yeah. is that fair well uh, what did he run off yesterday 165 isn't it yeah and he won 17 lengths so I mean he could be 185 who knows I mean, <laughs> you know, strictly if they go on the on the rule which they often who knows what he's but ratings are irrelevant really whether he's 175 178 he's just a very very smart horse on his day on that particular sort of track and you know I think now he, he can he's just shown he's very very good and um I think the rating is irrelevant, to be honest with you. Punch I mean, the three horses behind him, um, Politolog, yeah. Fox and Orton, and Waiting Patiently, you take Surname out of the race. They've run really, really well. Yeah. The two that followed him early on have paid the penalty and finished last and second last. But then the other three, basically, John was disappointed with Politolog, understandably, but you'd have been disappointed with any of those other three. And I said, if you'd have took Surname out of the race, mm. you'd have had a completely different race. And the other three have run really, really well. Mm. But he's just was astonishing performance. Right. What does Sam think? I don't know. I mean, well, <laughs> here you go, Sam. No, that's that was the thing. It's just astonishing performance. You take him out, it would have been one hell of a race between yeah. the others. You wouldn't be then trying to pin, pit coals in any of them. You wouldn't have been saying anything. It's just obviously. Sorry? Ruth wants to take him out. <laughs> you said, as a good yeah. guy, Paul, you said Politolog ran really well. If we're, if we're assessing the race through. Politolog waiting patiently and Fox Norton. To what extent do you think Politolog ran his race and ran close to his best form yesterday? Well, I think those three horses all finished in a heap together, and basically they, they've always win about that. Charbel was the same distance behind Politolog at Ascot in November. The waiting patient has got former Politolog from the past. You know, they weren't all, you know, they, they all run, those three are three very smart horses and all ran very, very well. And I don't think they underperformed. I think on the day they got beat by something that was probably extra special. Mm. 
That sounds very exciting. Uh, extra special is a great way to describe him, especially what he's done in his last two starts. Another horse who falls into that category for you, Paul, is Clan de Zobo. We spoke yesterday about the respect that this horse perhaps didn't receive after winning the King George. But are people, do you feel, are they, they must take uh, notice of just what this young horse is doing uh, by the way he went round Ascot yesterday? Exactly, as he did in Kempton. And, um, you know, he can't do no more than win. And um, he, he, he was very good yesterday. He now quickens up in front. He doesn't idle in front. He's, he's learning all the time, as Scott said. He's a real professional. And he was good yesterday, as he was at Kempton. Uh, I'm just looking back through previous Denman Chase winners, uh, the only horse to win the King George, the Denman Chase, and the Gold Cup in the same season was another seven-year-old. Um, that you obviously know very well, and I'm, whilst I'm not, I'm not going to compare the two. It's not fair for any horse to be compared with no. the mighty Corto. Um, what does this horse have that sets him apart, and what is he doing now that you always believed he would do? Well, winning and winning at the highest level. Um, he's just mature horse now, uh, mentally improved a lot, easy to train. We had problems last year, just little immature problems, and. Um, He's a finished article now. You know, he's only a seven-year-old. I think everyone expects too much too soon with these horses. And you know, I'd like to think there's more to come over the next couple of years as he gets older and stronger. Mm. Uh, and given the way that the season is panning out for you, uh, all the horses seem to be coming right at the same time. A lot of people speak about the, the flu vaccinations and, and the positives that you've had. Are you just feeling really chipper about all the decisions you're making at the minute? Well, no, look, we've done this for the last 15 years, so we're in no different position with the horses now than we were last year or the year before. We've always st stopped for a week in January and vaccinated them all the last week of December, first week of January. Always have done. And then, you know, then the horses could come good in the spring. Obviously, it's an advantage at the moment because of what's happened, which is, you know, nobody wanted that to happen. Uh, but for us, it's just been an advantage, you know, for what we do. Just mention some of the other winners that you had yesterday, Paul. Um, Kel Destan, a horse that Sam won on, uh, and I think you, obviously, the way he is progressing with every race is extremely exciting. He's very typical of what you do with a lot of your horses, is that you squeeze a little bit more out as the season goes on. Would that be a fair comment about him? Yeah, um, you know, he had his break and his jab over Christmas. He, he's, we thought he'd need to run a little bit yesterday because he does always improve for a race. So that all goes well for Cheltenham. He's tough and he jumps and yeah, he's going into Cheltenham, you know, for the triumph in a good place. And the way he races, I love the fact that you know he he tries so hard. Mm. Could he do it from behind or in front? It doesn't matter to him. It doesn't matter. If, you know, to be honest with you, the quicker they go, the better. And you could get a lead and use his jumping. They go no gallop. You can bowl along in front. Completely versatile, laid back horse. So. To be honest with you, the, the, the main thing is he wants to be a test of stamina. And um, the faster they go, the better, really. Excellent. Looking forward to seeing him. Now, uh, Grand Sancy went for the yeah. Kingwell Hurdle. And I think a few people thought yesterday that that was just a, a piece of opportunism for you, the way you plan things. We've often seen when you, Clifford, and the team stand in your office at uh, Ditchit and work out plans. Mm -hmm. So what was the plan in, in sending this horse for the Kingwell? <laughs> I must admit, I spent 48 hours... You know, deliberating and looking at the form, whether to to leave him for another day and let Cal Destin run in that race. And you know, you always want to try and get the right decision. We felt this horse is improving. We felt the ground and the track would suit him. Um, Sam's played a big part in this horse's career, and you know, getting him to settle. And Sam's won on him, I think. And um, he, he's just improved. And yesterday, Harry gave him a great ride. And um, you know, when you've got a novice who's improving, um, you know, they can put up good results. 
And one other horse I want to mention from yesterday is Magic Saint, who yeah. could potentially be a, a grand annual horse for you. Um, and it was great to see the way he travelled. How, how important to him yesterday was a decent pace? Oh, yeah, that was important. And you'll always get that at Cheltenham, as you say, he'll go for the grand annual now, which is all, what I've always had in my mind for him. It's just took a, you know, a lot of these French horses seem to take sort of between 8, 10, 12 months to acclimatise. And he's just beginning to come right now, and we've learned about him, and he's learned the English way of training and racing, and, and he was good yesterday. One of the good things of watching yesterday, Paul, was the fact that you had Harry Skelton winning for you, Daryl yeah. Jacobs, Sam was riding Politologue, and obviously yeah. Harry Cobden. Um, and you've always stressed the need for a strong team of riders, obviously Bryony on, on, on Brio Conti. I mean, uh, how, how important is it to have so many big players, so many big names to support you? Well, massively, you saw yesterday, and, you know, obviously Harry's number one now and rides most of them, but, you know, when you can use Sam and, and Bryony, they ride most of the ones behind him now, and it was great yesterday to give Daryl and Harry Skelton, you know, good winners, and, yeah, it's, it's very, very important. You can't do it without them, that's for sure, and you, it's, it's all about the team. It's, you know, I'm lucky when, you know, getting the plaudits a little bit today, but it's the team, Team Ditch it and all the jockeys, the owners, everyone involved. You don't do it without your team. And we're looking at the fact that yesterday, some people are saying, we're still a long way away from the end of the season, but some people say it could have been a pivotal day in the race for the Trainers' Championship. How do you see what you did yesterday uh, with uh, that particular perspective? Well, it wasn't a negative anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all two are probably wiped that out all in one go in the champion chase. But, uh, I mean, we could have been in a worse position going into Cheltenham. I mean, I think to get £2 million in prize money for Cheltenham was always a plus. I think... Most of the times we did that, we did win the championship. But, you know, it just depends if Nick is, Nick is you know, big guns um, perform at Cheltenham and, and do well, then it's going to make it interesting. And it's always how it is at the end of Cheltenham that really counts, no matter where we are at the moment. But, you know, we are in a strong position and, and you know, got lots to run right to the end, so it'll be very interesting. Was that Nicky ringing up in the background saying he's back to you at 6-4 to four this morning? Yeah, believe it or not, that, that, was, that was Matt Chapman. He probably is going to oh. tell me how to train some of the horses. <laughs> Uh, Paul, it's a real pleasure chatting to you. Uh, very, very well done yesterday, uh, and we look forward to seeing what you can do the next week. Thank you, and, and well done, Sam, yesterday as well. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you very much to uh, Paul Nichols. Uh, very amusing, <laughs> as well as yeah. entertaining. Um, I, I talked a bit more about Clanders over, if that's all right, because uh, you know, he has just taken off this season. And, Ruth, yesterday... Before he ran in the Denman chase, we were chatting to, I chatted to a few people and they were saying, can you really buy the King George win? Because perhaps a few horses didn't run their best, so one or two might not have been suited to the track. Going into the Denman chase, did you believe that Calanda Zobo was the, the best horse in the King George? Um, going into King George, no. Um, you probably thought he'd improve for his run at Haydock, but he had a little bit to find. Um, I know they said he would improve for going right-handed, which was always in the back of your mind, but um, you knew the track wouldn't suit Native River, you knew Thistlecrack had to improve, you, you know, you had all these questions. Mm. Um, your horse maybe wouldn't have loved, Chris Adamay maybe mm. wouldn't have loved Kempton, you know, we were stepping up in trip for the first time, Politologue the same, you know. Um, so you could crab the farm, I suppose, if you wanted to, though he won it very well in the end. Um, but he's come out again and, and just proved that he's, he's going to turn into a very good horse, isn't he? He is, uh, I think. Uh, but Sam, some people point, well, he's only beaten Tearful. Um, few horses ran below their best in the King George. But there's also a lot to like about him. Amazing to think he's only seven. Like, he seems to have been around a long time. He's obviously progressed from season to season. And what's actually the biggest thing is he's progressed from run to run. And mm. he's obviously had a nice, nice race yesterday. He hasn't had too hard a time of it. So 
all, all roads leading to Cheltenham, you can see him being a big player. Lee, just looking at the profile of presenting Percy this season yeah. compared to the profile of, of Klander Zobo yeah. this season, what makes presenting Percy a three to one shot for the Gold Cup and Klander Zobo sevens? I'm not, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, you, it's hard to say that presenting Percy is a talking horse in the sense that he was a wildly impressive winner of the RSA chase and then he, he came out and won the Gormoy hurdle first time out. But he's a talking horse in the sense that his trend doesn't do any talking. So the horse is the only one that we've got to, to base it on. And it, it, it does seem strange that you have a horse here who has got great form at, at Garren Park, who was targeted for the Red Mills chase from the moment he won the Gormoy hurdle last time. And then suddenly, on the Friday before the race, he's not declared. And they're saying he's now, they've decided they'd rather run in the uh, the Bobby Joe chase at Ferryhouse next weekend. If at all. Put, if at all, which puts him another one week closer to the Cheltenham Festival. I think if you're someone who's back presenting Percy for the Gold Cup, you're a little bit jittery now. If you're someone who is thinking of backing presenting Percy for the Gold Cup, you're holding back now, and you're certainly waiting to see if he goes next weekend. And mm. if he doesn't go next weekend, I can't think of many, well, I can't think of any precedents of a horse going into the Cheltenham Gold Cup and winning it without having run over fences that season. Certainly not starting favourite for the race without having run yeah. over fences this season. And it is frustrating that he's trained by a man who won't talk to the media and therefore won't, through the media, talk to racing fans and punters. And for that reason, I do find it quite hard to embrace his concept of presenting Percy being some sort of people's horse. I don't think he is. I think he's a grand horse, but I think there's an awful lot that's regrettable about the presenting Percy story. Fair comments. Uh, Ruth, whilst I'm sure you would appreciate Pat Kelly's uh, approach in, in dealing with presenting Percy, surely from a, a, a racing fan's, a, a punter's perspective as well, it must be very difficult to try and gauge what this horse is capable of doing this season just from one run over hurdles, albeit a very good one. No, you're going back through his farm really, aren't you? Um, and looking at what he achieved the last couple of years at Cheltenham. I think Cheltenham Festival Farms strong at the Cheltenham Festival farm. Mm. Horses that perform well there tend to come back out and perform well there, don't they? So you are taking it a little bit on faith. But if anyone's... I think if um, Pat Kelly's achievements for the number of horses had, if anyone can do it, I think he will. <laughs> Sam, have you had the choice of riding presenting Percy or Klander Zobo right now? Oof, good question. Um, Nathan River. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah he'd I be would the go one. with that, yeah. Thrash, yeah? yeah. Kanda if, you, if yeah. you're going back to what Paul Nichols has said about him, prefers going right-handed, and I suppose if the Denman chase had been at Newbury last week, you know, it would have been interesting to see how well he'd gone left, because he's always said he'll improve for going right, mm. and Ascot and Kempton are both mm. right-handed, so you take okay. it on faith that he'll go as well left. Um, okay. And the horse probably, pro Native River hasn't won this season, I think he's put up two good performances on ground and track he doesn't like, and if it came up soft at Cheltenham, it'd be where I'd put my money. If we all say Native River, what do you say? Klander's over. Yeah. Uh, uh, the young one coming through. I prefer yeah, the, the younger one. Yeah. Um. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai.
Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. As they come down towards the final fence, the bagger off from Mortal. Hardline has suddenly taken a keen interest on the far side and then gets over the last. It's the bagger Chased into the closing stages. Kaiser Black on the outside. Then Hardline being followed by Mortal. Up towards the finish. The bagger Richard Johnson from Kaiser Black. They're spread across the track. But the bagger looks and winning ways over fences. Giving is her fourth lead. She's made all in the flow gas dollars for Richard Johnson and Warren Great Drake. Warren, the, the magnificent mayor. Um, I just want to talk about you first and the win of Le Bagawar on Sunday because, in terms of pressure and, and nerves, was that right up there with, with the best of them in your career? Yeah, no, it was uh, the hardest. The hardest I felt. Yeah, I was, I was struggling all day. And, uh, and I, I don't know why, but I, get, I, I can get nervous anyway. Um, but I can normally deal with it fairly well. But Sunday was hard work, yeah. What, what made it particularly pressured? Just because you, you don't want to have done the wrong thing. Um, we sort of set out our stall and said that this is where we were going to go from a long, you know, for a long time. And when you get to the day, you're just thinking, look, everyone's looking at us now. Um, have I made the right decision? Um, a few horses were pulling out because of the ground. You know. Did you, did you ever consider that? No, no, I never had any worries. She, yeah. she, she's handled fast ground before, so I, di- I, I didn't feel that. But then, you know, the Delta work comes out, and then you become a short price favourite. And okay, it's brilliant that you've got more chance of winning. But to be honest, then there's if you do lose, then everyone's going to go see. You know what we're doing coming over here. So you know, I, I did find it pressure, and you know, for the yard for the owners, for everybody, you know, it was, it was getting on top of me a bit, but I managed, to, I managed to cope, and once the race was up and running, I was fine. When you see her putting in some of those leaps, and I think there was one early doors where she must have taken a few lengths out of the rest of them, does that sort of allay your fears and rest, make you rest a little bit easier when you're watching the race? Yeah, I, I think once she's racing, or once Richard's on, to be honest, I've done my job, mm. and... Uh, then I'll leave it to him, and he's you know he's the right man to be doing the steering. Um, and once she sets off and jumps the first, she's away. But to be honest, even the first day I was always because it was a first chase. Um, I was always a little bit nervous about how she did. But since then, she seems she seems you know like a very sensible jumper, brilliant jumper, and and has really enjoyed it and thrived from running over fences. And are you enjoying you know the journey started over fences? What back in November, and it's now four from four to Grade ones. It would seem silly to say, are you enjoying it? But is this just the ultimate thrill with this mare now? Yeah, very much so, because we've, we've sort of, we haven't, you know, from the, from the word go, I haven't hidden how much I think of her. And um, it's just nice now that she is um, producing what I thought she could do all along. Um, she seems to finish the article now. She's taken a race as well. Um, and you know, to win two grade ones with a mare against the boys is huge. Um, and I don't, I don't think we're finished yet. You know, I, I think there's more to come, and you know, we'll, we'll mind her now. She'll probably have one more run this season, um, and then we'll, we'll have a good summer off, and then we yeah. can come back into some of the big, you know, even bigger races next year, hopefully. 
I mean, horses don't know when the line's coming, but the way she leapt that last the other day almost suggested that she knew what the target was and she was going to get there. Yeah, and I mean, all, in every race she's run, even when she was running over two miles, she's always really battled hard. Mm. And she, she wouldn't be a horse at home that would work brilliantly. She'd sort of work with anything you wanted to work with, but she, she wouldn't be an extravagant worker. But it just seems in her races, you know, she really does know where the winning line is. And, um, you know, she, she'll give it everything. You said that she, I mean, she's having a good pick now, but you said that she obviously has lost weight with the travelling and the race itself, and she was entitled to. Does that therefore make it easier to say that Cheltenham's not happening this year? Um, I think so. You know, we'll, we'll leave her in for a, a, a week or so, and then I think um, we could take her out if we don't want her to go in on the 19th of February, and that'll be probably a, a good time if, um, if I feel... Um, that it's not the right thing for her, um, but I'll speak to the owners. But yeah, she she you know she had a hard race at Kempton. She's had another hard race and the travelling um, to Leopardstown, um, and obviously it's four weeks or four and a half weeks to Cheltenham. Whereas she'll have eight weeks um, or so to Aintree. Um, plus, you know the likelihood uh, some of the Irish horses will probably wait for Punchestown, and everyone would have had a good dust up at Cheltenham anyway. So. Yeah. Um, Aintree which is a track we think would suit her um, and we can enter in the two and a half mile and the three mile and make a choice nearer the time. She's always been popular and I mean why wouldn't she be because we love winners don't we she's a, a pretty much a clockwork winning machine but was Sunday the day when her popularity went through the roof do you think? I think so I've I mean we've had a couple of Cheltenham winners and we've had some big winners but the the noise um, a very good friend of mine Scott who helps me here with form and entries and that we were watching it sort of hiding around the corner and as she jumped the last and then it looked like she was going to win he just went listen to the crowd I've, I've never heard a noise like it and coming into the winner's enclosure it just the, the roof came off it was uh, it was amazing and it, it, it's brilliant you know the Irish just you know they, they love their racing so much and to to hear the noise when she came in it, it was just great and I think you know she, she deserves everything she gets because the way she races you know, she is a mare, um, and we know this, this isn't an easy game at no. all, um, especially for, for, for mares, but uh, the way she puts her heart on her sleeve and she's willing to, you know, put the jumps in she does, and, you know, at Kempton, the way she battled back, yeah. you know, she, she wants to win, which is obviously in this, this job, it makes it much easier for us. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world.
Welcome back to Luck on Sunday. Uh, alongside me is uh, Grade 1 winning trainer Ruth Jefferson. She has been on the show all through so far. We chatted about waiting patiently uh, earlier on, but now we're going to chat a little bit more about how things have gone in the last 12 months or so, Ruth. Of course, this time last year, it must have been a very strange period for you. There was a celebration, obviously, of waiting patiently, winning at Ascot, beating Q Card under, under Brian. Um, but it came a day after your your dad's funeral. So how's the, yeah, how's um, the time passed? Yeah, it's 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 um it's had some up in words really I suppose. Um dad was very ill for the final two months before he passed away in February last year. Um very ill. He he, he was only out he was only up the gallows once in that period. Um and he 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 struggled as well. He was very sick that day. Um and I mean although we knew and we all knew that he wasn't um, going to be around much longer. It still comes as a shock. Uh, passed away on the 2nd of February, and um, his funeral was on the 16th, because uh, there was no ju- jump racing in the north that year. Um, and then we're down here at Ascot on the 17th, waiting patiently. And um, I suppose Dad's attitude to life was that life always goes on when things go wrong or, or people pass away. And, um, you know, it, I suppose it was nice to have something good happen at a time when a lot of what was happening wasn't good mm. and and was it also i guess uh, a bit of comfort that the horse that he believed in that you believed in delivered at the <laughs> yeah. highest level like i say the last two months he wasn't very well and i was um training his horses he was leaving me to it um which meant he in his world it was well he told me he wasn't going to interfere but that lasted about 48 <laughs> hours um and you know, we'd missed a couple of races because the horse hadn't been very well. He'd had a head cold and we gave him a bit of long time. And remember when we went to Kempton and um, and he won. And then the listed race and then the Ascot chase was a, a logical step, really. So came back and Dad was like, it could win a grade one. And I was like, oh, grade ones are hard to win. And then a week later, I was like, do you know, maybe you could win a grade one. He was like, no, no, grade ones, you can't win a grade one that easily. And, um, you know, we, t- we two and throwed it between us what, what sort of chance he had. But I think he'd have been um, very pleased, yeah. very pleased had he been there. Uh, to, I don't this to come over in the wrong manner, but because obviously you're missing, you, you'll miss your dad. But from the, 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 the training perspective, how much do you, do you miss his presence? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because um, we'd worked alongside each other uh, for quite a while and um, watching Sam's interview, we have a similar relationship that Sam and Nigel had, that me and Malcolm had, um, in that we disagreed vocally <laughs> if we disagreed and if we agreed, that was fine. Um, it's, it's hard to say because you don't have a sounding board, but at the same time, it means you have to trust your own judgment. Um, you know, there's no, there's no passing the book. Um, had he prepared you to do that? To, yeah. to trust your own judgment. I'm not sure. I'd, I don't know if he's prepared me or not. Really, it's hard to say. But we're both pretty um, strongly opinionated, and both quite stubborn. So I think <laughs> when you are opinionated and quite stubborn, you go with your own instincts, don't you? And if you yeah. if you don't think something's right, then generally I think you should just just not do it. Yeah. Um, if you're happy with everything, then have a go. Just in the genes, then you just yeah, it must just be genetic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's mum's fault. Neither of us. <laughs> Take your pick. Uh, but great to get get off the mark with a horse like waiting patiently. I mean, what what a horse to have. <laughs> Very uh, lucky to have him. Over. Very yeah. lucky to have him. Um, we retired. We obviously inherited him when Keith Reevely retired, and um, you know since since then, and he, since he went chasing, and chasing was his game, wasn't it? And he's improved yeah. from strength to strength, and 
you know, we're very lucky that Richard Collins had the faith in us that we kept him, you know, because every yard needs a good horse and, you know, we're very lucky to have him. Yeah. Um, we've spoken about yesterday already and the fact that, you know, no excuses for him yesterday. Yeah. Ignoring surname, because we've got to take him out of the equation. <laughs> As Paul said, he could just be extra special, so that's fine. But what sort of, what sort of plan would you have with, waiting patiently for the future, sort of long-term thinking. I know that you've got options, Ryanair, Aintree, etc. next. But do, do, you, do you think that he's a horse that can be compa- campaigned, you know, a, a rigorous campaign for the season? How important is it for him to have perfect conditions before you want to let him run? Um, I mean, the conditions weren't really what I would call perfect yesterday, and, and we let him take his chance. I'm not sure I'd chance him again on that ground. Um, right. It was a lot quicker than we had certainly ran him on and I mean thankfully he's all right this morning um but at times he didn't look entirely comfortable but I'm not going to use that as an excuse I think he ran his race um I think he's probably a horse that's better on softer ground because he handles it better than a lot of other horses handle heavy soft ground um I certainly don't feel that getting beat yesterday makes him suddenly not a good horse I still think he's a very good horse um it's hard to say. I mean, we tried. We were trying three miles in the King George um, and didn't get far enough. It's it's difficult to say on yesterday's race that we want three miles. Mm. Um, you know, and we'll just go away and think about it. But there's races there, but I would much prefer to have him back on soft. Um, I think he's a happier horse on soft ground. Would you try the King George again if the ground came up soft? Um, possibly. I'm not going to rule it out. I'm not going to rule it out. Um mm. Definitely not, because you should never rule anything in or out. Um, but it's it's difficult to say, isn't it, based on yesterday. You wouldn't say he was crying out for a step-up in trip, whereas no. last year you would have said he handled a trip beautifully. But yeah. then again, it was his first full race of the season. And, yeah. um, you know, things have been different this year, but I'll not rule it out. Yeah, the way he finished the race last year, I think everybody immediately thought the race that would suit him down to the ground would be the King George when he rolled past Q card. Um, but I guess yesterday's race... But maybe if you take out Serna, you're still thinking he's, he's yeah, held but you on can. well. I mean, I mean, I'd love to take Serna out, <laughs> preferably before the race. <laughs> <laughs> then he'd have won another grade one, but you can't take horses out, can you? It's, it's, it's what um, it is. You, you, as much as you'd like to, we, we got beaten. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, thought he ran, I thought he ran fine, but just, it was just once or twice I thought he didn't look as comfortable as he can look. And, you know, he, he was taking on horses that had run a lot this season and, and things like that, but... Yeah. I think he still ran a very good race. Which so it's is possible that he, he could come on for that run this year. I don't think he'll come on for fitness. He wasn't blowing, but he might come on just purely for um, the experience of having the race. Okay. Um, talk, just, we'll talk more about some of the good horses that you've got in just a moment. Just a bit about your grounding, because, of course, part of your grounding came at a time when your, your dad had uh, one, of, one of the smartest hurdlers we've seen uh, in, in Dato Star, who mm. you had uh, quite a bit to do with, uh, if I'm no, right. No, no, I, I did a little bit. Um, I was... I would be, what year was it? He won the you champion said, you, pumper you, in 95, didn't he? Yeah. I used to do his road work, because we used to do road work, because right. um, we don't yeah. do it anymore because there's too much traffic. So in 95, I'd probably be about uh, 12. No, okay. I'd just been older than that. <laughs> Until his school, 98, 16. I must be about 14. So yeah, I used to do his road work okay. um, in my school holidays. Um, but I was well, never I'm allowed to canter. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't bad. Tullamore Toff, Dato Star and King's Measure. Oh, there, weren't three bad, there weren't three bad horses <laughs> to go trot up the road. And very safe rides. Um, I was never allowed to canter him, and in fairness, that was probably a good idea. He <laughs> was keen at home. He was one of them really active horses that yeah. took a grip up the gallops, and I'd never have stopped. 
So, um, but yeah, I used to do that. I used to take him racing a lot, lead him up a lot. Yeah. Um, led him up when he won his Christmas hurdle. Well, take a look, before we get to Christmas, just tell, tell me about when he went to, to Cheltenham uh, for the bumper uh, and what, what the feeling was like and, and what sort of confidence well, he, the, the team had. We bought him in May um, for 4,200 guineas at the Doncaster Star Sale and it was a, an accordion which was an unraced stallion. It was his first crop of three-year-olds yeah. and he was out of a mare that had never ran. Yeah. Um, a fairy something, a fairy king there. And... Um, he was just a naturally athletic horse that come to hand quite quickly. And he ran at air, I think it would be New Year. It's a meeting around New Year. Yeah. And he won the bumper, but he won the bumper by about 40-something lengths and never come <laughs> off the bridle on bottomless ground. And yeah. it was it was a bit surreal, um, right. you know. And then he went to Haydock and he won exactly the same way again. Um, so you couldn't really not go to Cheltenham, but he was just a four-year-old, yeah. um, you know. And he won, I think he won by a head, didn't he? Yeah. Never won by very far on good ground, yeah. um, you know. But I mean, you were—it's—it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because when a horse is won like that, you're confident, but at the same time, you probably haven't beat an awful lot behind you that's come out and. and yeah, well, and we're looking—we're looking at. Uh... I know it's not something you get to watch very often anymore, yeah. is it? Oh, superb though! Absolutely. But the second horse was a very good horse as well, wasn't it? Red Blazer of Henrietta Knight. Mm. Uh, absolutely. Oh, just just seeing him now actually sends. <laughs> Uh, tingles down the spine because he was a he was the way he raced as well he traveled so strong I mean when you say that obviously you, you oh, didn't yeah, want to no, no, but watching him through his <laughs> races jockey always seemed to be sitting holding on to him because he always wanted looking he wanted to go that little bit faster and he was a fast horse he ran on the flat didn't he yes. he ran in the November handicap yeah. um, one year I remember that um, it was just a fast horse that he needed to hang on to but he was very quick over his jumps and mm. very accurate over his jumps yeah. and um, I mean in fairness he must have been a good spin Whoever was riding, wasn't yeah. it? It's all it the was, road work that. that yeah, that it's all the road work. <laughs> um, the, the, the Christmas hurdle, I think it was 1999. Yeah. Yeah. What what was that experience like coming down to to lead him up at? It was a bit like this year. I spent Christmas Day at Kempton. <laughs> um, we came down the day before. I think we only had him running that year because the following year, when he went either the year before or the year after, yeah. we had another horse running. But it was only him that year. Um, and it was lovely actually because my dad's brother-in-law, Uncle Joe, had a share. Oh, um, oh, so it was a little yeah. bit more of a family affair yeah. than um, normal, and he, he won it nicely. Yeah. He, I think, if I remember rightly, it was when they used to have the. It was William Hill, was it? No, it was um, Smurfit. Oh, good. Oh. Might have been William Hill, I can't remember now. No, it's I think it was Smurfit. 20 years ago, you're testing. Yeah. So, okay, Smurfit. Because it was the same people who sponsored Champion Hurdle. Okay. Kappa, isn't it? Smurfit Kappa. Yes. And he's, I, think he's, I think it was that one or the. One of the William Hill girls at Newcastle, he, we didn't want them in the photo, so he just quite happily headbutted them out of the way. <laughs> Went in, had his photo he, taken. Well, on, well ahead of his time. Well you know, ahead of his the, time, the wasn't having thing. it. Yeah. Um, came in, and I just remember I had to take him out of the winner's enclosure, and there was, I don't know how many photographers, and they said, we well, take a turn and turn him in. And it was like, honestly, it was like a catwalk model. Started at one end, and he slowly moved the whole way around to make sure everyone got his good angle. <laughs> and then walked out the braid ring again, and I was like, well, you know what you're doing. <laughs> But it was that sort of horse, he knew, he yeah. knew when people were looking at him and he put on a sh Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai.
Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. Uh, and we are enjoying our sport for what it is because, of course, this time last week we were in the dark <laughs> waiting till Monday night for the BHA to make their decision. Equine flu had engulfed the country, uh, engulfed the sport. Um, how, how much are we back to normal? What's the situation? Obviously, there's still one or two people, Lee, mm. that are still unhappy with the new vaccination rule. Yeah, we're largely back to normal. Um, as of this weekend, you'd imagine that all those horses that couldn't run the weekend just gone because they had to have six-month boosters will be able to compete. Um, Richard Newton from the Animal Health Trust has made the point that we're not completely out of the water yet in that there could still be the potential for this to rear its head again. But we've got through that, that shutdown period. Yeah. It did raise controversy. Um, from my perspective, I think if you were in the, the, the position of the governing body last on the, on the Wednesday evening when the initial shutdown took place and then the Thursday when they decided on the, the six day, the, what would have been a six-day shutdown. I think if you put yourselves in their position, they have responsibility for the entire sport. A lot of the people that complained, and with absolutely sort of sincere um, motives and with, with genuine feelings, they were looking at things from their position. Mm. The BHA... And the vets that they were talking to have to look at things from the position of the sport as a whole. And if there had been a crisis because of allowing racing to continue, it would have been on their heads and the effects would have been serious. So I think if you try to just empathise with what those making the decisions at the time had to bear in mind, I think it's quite easy, from my perspective, to think that they did the right thing. Do you agree that the BHA have acted as best as they could have done during this situation um yeah i think on the whole we shouldn't criticize them um obviously once donald's horses tested positive for flu there was the implication that of runners mm. you know they needed to stop and just check mm. and and then it came out that the one razor spark was it at mm. air had, had tested positive for flu and that had its own implications so i don't think they had a choice if if they'd done anything differently we were advised at the time to do six months flew a lot of mine were done but some of them weren't so I did the rest of them um but they maybe should have said there and then mm. do six monthly flu vaccines now we're going to bring it in so just do them um and that would have been the only thing they could have done differently but I agree if if they'd have carried on racing and we'd ended up with Yaj closing down for flu in three weeks time we'd have mm. had a far bigger problem than mm. we had should we be worried at all if non-thoroughbreds, non-racehorses are contracting equine flu? Uh, I don't think there's anything you can do. Is the, There's no obligation for your pony to have a flu jab if the pony club you do, hunting you don't. Um, I don't think... I'd, I think it's one of the things we're going back to what's inside and outside of your control. There's mm. not a lot we can do. You can just minimise your risk, can't you? But at the same time, I think there is a legitimate argument to say that um, had we allowed racing to continue over the six, those six days. We weren't aware at the time, if we'd done that, whether we would have potentially been infecting the rest of the equine population of this country. Yeah. Now, James Gibbon, I spoke to for a Racing Post piece last Friday, made the point that whilst it might not have been at the forefront of the, the BHA's minds and the vets' minds who were making those decisions, there is that sense in which 
the easiest way to spread equine flu around the wider unvaccinated horse population would have been by continuing racing, allowing racehorses and people associated with racehorses to be going crisscross around the country. And at a time when there's more scrutiny than ever before on the sport and the welfare issues around the sport, I think you could almost say that by taking a decision that was taken for the benefit of the industry and with welfare of horses in mind, and potentially also the wider equine population of the country, that the reputation of racing might well have been enhanced and not diminished. And certainly government was supportive of what the racing industry did. Mm. And that's not inconsequential either. Yeah. And uh, interesting reading your article in the week about uh, the, the cost mm. of the shutdown. Um, obviously, Lee, you put a figure, was it 15? 15 million, across racing and bookmaking. Yeah. Um, what sort of... What sort of effect, cost-wise, would it have had on you, Ruth, to, to um, shut down for six days? Well, we, we don't. We didn't actually shut down. That's the thing. You can't literally shut down. So we just carried on as normal. Um, there's the cost of flu vaccine. You know, that's another it. twenty horses, yeah. but um, that's split out between the people who own them. But the cost to us was, you know, we had two runners that weekend that couldn't run. But mm. you know, there'd be bigger yards that maybe be more substantial, sure. cost more. Mm. Or if you're looking at what could and couldn't run this weekend, and your your trails you know, into Cheltenham and things yeah. like Nicky Henderson and that, you know, maybe the effect's been bigger. But for me personally, it was um, it, it was frustrating mm. to a degree, um, but it was no more, it's no more than being frustrated by a week. I was going to say, now. that's the harder thing to put a cost on. Yeah, you know, The fact that Santini, for example, couldn't run in the Randall stand yesterday, yeah, it's difficult to quantify how, how annoying that might have been for Nicky Henderson. Yeah, absolutely. And clearly it was annoying. But I think when a governing body regulator mm. and their veterinary advisors have to make such a crunch decision, they can't consider the fact that someone might be annoyed by not being able to run their no. three-mile novice chaser mm. at Ascot at Newbury. You, know, you have to take yeah. a wider perspective. Yeah. And whilst it was annoying and whilst it was frustrating, I think actually the enthusiasm that was shown by the media yeah. for racing's resumption, oh. including in a BBC 10 o'clock news bulletin, yeah. which ended with a really positive payoff from... Yeah. Um, the journalists say, I think that's that's important too. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equuel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast on Racing TV. Download every week on Sunday evening and enjoy what the best guests have to say about the big issues in racing.